Jonah 1.17 to 2.10. And the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. Then Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from the belly of the fish, saying, I called out to the Lord out of my distress, and he answered me. Out of the belly of Sheol I cried, and you heard my voice. For you cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas, and the flood surrounded me. All your waves and your billows passed over me. Then I said, I am driven away from your sight. Yet I shall again look upon your holy temple. The waters closed in over me to take my life. The deep surrounded me. Weeds were wrapped about my head. The roots of the mountains. I went down to the land whose bars closed upon me forever. Yet you brought up my life from the pit. O Lord, my God. When my life was fainting away, I remembered the Lord. And my prayer came to you, into your holy temple. Those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love. But I, with the voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you what I have vowed I will pay. Salvation belongs to the Lord. Verse 10, and the Lord spoke to the fish, and it vomited Jonah out upon the dry land. This is the word of the Lord. It is absolutely true, given to us in love for our good. This passage allows us to eavesdrop on Jonah's prayer from the belly of the great fish. Now, some scholars will argue back and forth that this story is either allegorical or symbolic. The idea of a man surviving three days in the bowels of a great fish, just too fantastical. But the genre of this book would lead one to take it at face value. This is a historical narrative, so it means that this actually happened. We read that Jonah... A prophet of God is given the command to go and preach to the Ninevites. 2 Kings 14 tells us that Jonah served during the reign of King Jeroboam II in the northern kingdom, the first half of the 8th century. He had spoken to the king regarding his wickedness, and he saw the Lord's mercy extended to the northern kingdom with the restoration of their border. He had seen God's wonderful grace and mercy towards his own people, yet Jonah balks when the Lord gives him the command to go and preach to the wicked Gentiles of Nineveh. Now, Nineveh was a city in Assyria near modern-day Mosul, Iraq. It was about 600 miles to the east of Israel. Upon receiving this word from the Lord, as opposed to striking out for Nineveh, the prophet books passage for Tarshish, 
modern-day Tharsis in southern Spain. Nearly 3,600 miles in the exact opposite direction. As he is embarking upon his journey, a storm kicks up to which he is determined to be the cause. He instructs the sailors to throw him overboard. And this is where our passage picks up. See, friends, what connects us to this text is that it's easy for us to want mercy for ourselves and our people and to want justice for the other. We can make determinations regarding who is worthy, who is not worthy of God's grace. We can set ourselves up as judges of God's grace as opposed to being agents of God's grace, just like Jonah. But this is his words, his grace. It's not ours. So we must not allow, like Jonah did, sociocultural, geopolitical ideologies to muddy the waters. As soon as we do, we find ourselves suffering from the same condition Jonah suffered from, making ourselves judges. So we shall examine this passage under three headings. The occasion... Verses 117 to 23. The affliction. Verses 4 to 6. And the confession. Verses 7 to 10. This leads us to our first heading. The occasion. And the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. Then Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from the belly of the fish, saying, I called out to the Lord out of my distress. He answered me, out of the belly of Sheol I cried, and you heard my voice. For you cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas. And the flood surrounded me, all your waves and your billows passed over me. The first thing that we immediately notice in this passage we've just read is that Jonah prayed. The entire time we read of Jonah prior to this, he had not prayed one time. He didn't pray to God before he made the decision to run from him. We don't see Jonah praying to God for guidance before he decides to pay the fare, board the ship to Tarsus. We don't even see Jonah praying when the pagans began to pray. We don't see Jonah praying until he finds himself in the belly of the great fish. How telling is that? A prayerless prophet. Oddly, he prays when he was all out of options. And it became clear that only God could save him. Sadly, I think many of us do not pray either so long as we think there is a chance that we can figure it out ourselves. As long as we think and behave like this and trust in our own resources, we don't turn to the Lord for direction 
hope and answers. When it comes to this, we do not turn to the Lord in prayer. And just like Jonah, oftentimes our plans have to be shattered. Our solutions have to come to naught. And our possibilities have to be exhausted before we turn to the Lord in prayer. It was the path of prayerlessness which had led Jonah to this point. In fact, the whole point of Jonah's flight was to escape from the presence of the Lord. So praying would not have served to that end. But is this not true of us as well? Disobedience always leads to prayerlessness. Prayerlessness leads to sin, folly, and disaster. In verse 2, Jonas tells us what it was that cured his prayerlessness. And it was affliction. Now, I've spoken of this before with the prayer of Hannah. How God divinely directs difficulty and hardships in our lives to bring us to the end of ourselves. But here, what we see happening with Jonah is at a different level. Hannah was not suffering because of her sin, yet God was afflicting Jonah for disobedience. There's something about affliction that not only drives us to God, but makes the Lord more real, more personal. We learn to appreciate that which we once took for granted. I believe the saddest thing that the Lord could do is to let us go in complete and unfettered pursuit of our own desires, minus any discipline whatsoever. In fact, we read in Paul that God abandoning those to their own devices Consciences hardened to the urging of his spirit is the harshest form of judgment we can face in this life. Of course, the writer of Hebrews rightly frames it that the Lord corrects and disciplines those whom he loves. And this is what we see here. It was his affliction that drove him back to the Lord from whom he had feigned to run. David sums it up well. Psalm 119, verses 67, 71, and 75, where he writes, Before I was afflicted, I went astray, but now I keep your word. It is good for me that I was afflicted, that I might learn your statutes. I know, O Lord, that your rules are righteous, and that in faithfulness you have afflicted me. You see, friends, the occasion for Jonah's prayer was not that he was in the stomach of a fish in the depth of the sea. The occasion for Jonah's being in the belly of the fish in the first place was his prayerlessness. Praise God, we have a God who knows how to cure prayerlessness. And that always comes by way of trouble. He will send you trouble that will drive you to himself. 
Some of you may say that you've gone too far down the rabbit hole to pray. But friends, if we read anything in Jonah, is that it's never too late to pray. Even in the bowels of the belly of death, it's time to pray. <laughs> Suffering the effects of your own sin and disobedience is not a time to forsake prayer. Matter of fact, it's the most appropriate time to pray. Suffering from your sin, your disobedience, is the divinely appointed mercy of God to get you back to the place of prayer and looking to the Lord. It is when the Lord has abandoned you to your own devices that you really need to be afraid. This leads us to our second heading, the affliction, verses 4 to 6. Then I said, I am driven away from your sight, yet I shall look upon your holy temple. The waters closed in over me to take my life. The deep surrounded me. Weeds were wrapped around my head. The roots of the mountains. I went down to the land whose bars closed upon me forever. Yet you brought up my life from the pit, O Lord my God. Here we find Jonah praying and bearing the full burden of his own sin. The first thing we notice is that his prayerlessness is cured. The presence that he once fled from, he now seeks out desperately, not knowing if he is forever banished. But friends, the purposes of God are manifold. And I believe there were a few reasons why the Lord dealt with Jonah thus. First, Jonah's sin needed to be dealt with. Second, Jonah needed to come to terms within himself regarding his sin. Third, Jonah needed to live out God's mercy firsthand. Let me elaborate. Here in the belly of the great fish, Jonah knew that he was there because of his own disobedience. He recognized that he deserved this. And coming to terms with his own sin, he realized that he was not the dispenser of God's grace, but a recipient. He knew that he was deserving of this, just like the Ninevites were deserving of destruction. He realized he needed God's grace just as much as the Ninevites. I believe it was there in the bowels of the fish that Jonah was made to relate to the Ninevites. He himself being a recipient of grace, deserving of punishment. Fourth, I believe it was Jonah's experience in the fish that actually gave his words real power when he preached to the Ninevites. His very appearance bleached by the stomach acids of the great fish gave his words life. He was not just another crackpot shouting in the streets 
in some strange dialect. But he was a living sign for the people. His very life experience embodied his message. What he was preaching testifying to the fact that God had judged a sinner without partiality, had found him guilty, and cast him into the watery abyss. But from this abyss, the Lord lifted a guilty, condemned sinner to life and service. The mercy that he was preaching was something that he himself had partaken of. Now, I forget who said it. Don't hold this against me. I usually am good at tracking down these things. It was either Martin Lloyd-Jones or John Owen who writes that the preacher must first be affected by the power of which he preaches. Give me about a week if you need to know who said it. I need some time to get up on my feet. When you live what you preach, it shows. You can't hide it. You can't hide it any more than Jonah could hide where he had been when he was vomited out by the fish on shore. When your message is your lived experience, it shows. It's written all over you. It's what gives your words power. Conversely, it's also obvious when your words mean little because you're speaking of something that you're not really acquainted with. There is a reality of death and resurrection that must be experienced, not merely in an eschatological way, but in an experiential way, where you have borne the burden of your own sin and experienced the sweet grace of God that brings newness of life. I fear there are too many pulpits today who try to declare something that they've not lived. This leads us to our last heading, the confession, verses 7 to 10. When my life was fainting away, I remembered the Lord, and my prayer came to you into your holy temple. Those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love, but I, with the voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you. Hold on. Ah. I, will, <laughs> I, don't know. I was in a fever when I was putting this together. <laughs> I will, I will vow, I, what I have vowed I will pay. Salvation belongs to the Lord. And the Lord spoke to the fish and it vomited Jonah out upon dry land. Here we see Jonah's prayer coming full circle. Now, scholars, again, have disagreed exactly to what extent Jonah prayed this verbatim from the stomach of the great fish. But I would say it's safe to say that verses 2 through 6 are a summary of his prayer. And verses 7 to 10 are a reflection. The first thing we notice is hope. Jonah, even when suffering from his own disobedience, 
he still hopes for the forgiveness of God, to be in his presence again. The very presence that Jonah ran from. This tells us that even in judgment, there is yet mercy still. Second thing we notice is that Jonah has repented of his former demeanor. Earlier we read where Jonah would have rather died than to see the Ninevites repent. After his life-altering experience with the fish, he has a new perspective. Salvation is not his to dispense or determine. Salvation belongs to the Lord. Let us take this to heart, especially in Western evangelicalism, where declaring the good news of the gospel to the other can quickly take a back seat to political ideologies. Nobody's out of bounds. Finally, we see how Jonah points us to Christ where Jonah vetoed God in favor of doing his own will, Jesus subordinated himself in his flesh to do the will of God. Where Jonah suffered the effect of his own sin, Jesus suffered because of others' sin. Where Jonah was thrown into the deep to ease the wrath of the storm, Christ was thrown into hell to bear the wrath of God. Where Jonah was three days in the stomach of the great fish, Jesus was three days in the belly of hell. Where Jonah was vomited out to preach repentance to God's enemies, our Lord also rose out of the grave, seen by many and declared to all. Where Jonah's appearance and countenance was so changed, it gave his words regarding the grace and mercy of an almighty God power. Our Lord's countenance and appearance was so changed by the power of his resurrection that he rose no longer bound to the corruption of sin of this life in complete dominance over it. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this word. We thank you for the hope that we have. When we see Jonah pray, some of us have think that we've gone too far. Lord God, we thank you that, we, that you've determined that we don't always have to go all the way to the bitter end, oh God. Father, that you interrupt our sin, you interrupt our disobedience. And in so doing, it's your mercy and your grace that we, there's always a time that we can pray to you and call out to you. We thank you for that we don't have to bear our own wrath. Israel has reminded Christ that he bore the full wrath for us. So none of us has to bear your wrath and atone for our sin. Let these words take heart. Let the seed be planted. Let it yield much fruit. In Christ's name, amen.